Hello and welcome to The 40 Minute Mentor with me, your host, James Mitra. Here at JBM, we think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find a great mentor who you can learn from and be inspired by. So for those of you who are looking for this mentorship, we launched this podcast. In each episode, we'll be sharing career stories, advice and mentorship from some of the most inspiring people we know. And we hope that you can apply some of these learnings to your life and career. I'm always keen to get feedback, so if you have any thoughts once you've listened to this interview, just drop me a line at james at jbmc.co.uk. In today's episode, you'll get to hear from not one, but two brilliant guests as I chat with Henry Faber and Walter Kerr, who are the founders of Oppidan. Frustrated by shortcomings that they saw in the tuition sector, Henry and Walter set up Oppidan to tackle the pressurised, anxiety-driven education market in the UK. Their goal was to disrupt the tuition sector by focusing on mentoring children, not simply teaching them fact. Their services help children develop critical life skills like empathy and emotional intelligence, and not just how to pass their 11+. Since founding the business in 2016, they've grown rapidly and in 2017 expanded from tutoring into summer camps with their unique Oppidan camps, taking the US style summer camp experience and bringing them to the UK for children aged seven to 14. We discuss so many fascinating topics during this interview and go deep into the state of the education sector today, talking about everything from the impact that mentoring can have on children why it's important for children to learn these life skills at a young age, what we can do to help level the playing field when it comes to social class and educational achievement. We also dig into the business side of Oppidan and Henry and Walter share their insights into what it's like to launch a startup in a completely new niche and the challenges that they've come along the way. I love chatting to Henry and Walter who are truly passionate about their business and it's great to see them making a real difference. I took so much away from this interview And it really got me thinking about how I'll approach some of these critical decisions for my own three-year-old daughter, Sienna, as she grows up. So if you're currently working in the education sector, you're a parent wanting to know how to give your child the best possible start in life, or you simply want to hear from two inspiring young entrepreneurs who are carving a brand new niche in one of the UK's most traditional industries, I know you're going to love this one. So with all that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Henry Faber and Walter Kerr from Oppidan. Henry Walter from Oppidan, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor today. I thought we could kick today's show off with a 30 second overview of both of your CVs, if that's okay. So who's going first? Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Walter, over to you. Perfect. Well, thanks, James, for having us. So I grew up in Hong Kong, moved to England when I was eight, went to school until I was 18, and then left with not a huge idea about what I wanted to do. So I went to China for a year and taught in a school and university and followed that train of thought, went back and did some research out in China and then left Durham University where I studied theology, not a vocational degree, but um, an academic pursuit nonetheless, and realized that I wanted to go into education. So spent about 18 months working for a tutoring firm before setting up Oppidan in early 2016. Awesome. Thank you very much, Henry. So Walter and I met when we were nine. That's probably a good context as well. I'm the product of 10 years of boarding school. I've got four parents and four sisters, which I think infers quite a lot. And after leaving school, I was big on languages. I went to Oxford to study Spanish and Italian literature. 
And my dream was always to be an actor, which I still do alongside my work with Opperden sporadically. I think we call it being a potential actor. <laughs> and after leaving university, likewise, I got into some tutoring really as a part-time gig more than anything. And I did some work, uh, sort of consultancy work on UK education in China and in Spain. And then that led the two of us sort of together eventually to starting the business. Thanks, guys. We are going to come back to your relationship a bit later, uh, which is, is intriguing. Um, what led the two of you to launch Opperdin then? And can you explain to the listeners what the business does? Yeah, so I think to start any business, there are two things you need. One is to be personally passionate about the product you're selling. Um, so with us, I guess that's education. And the second one is when you understand the inefficiencies of the market you're going into, or rather have a differing attitude to the incumbent of that market. So that led us to set up Opperdin on the back of working in the tuition space for, as we said, 18 months and thinking there was a space for us to do something slightly different. I think the, the layman bit to that as well is that we, we kept seeing each other at social events and we clearly were sharing the same experiences, mm -hmm. working for different people and the same people actually, but there was a lot of laughing about kind of slight inadequacies, although not to point fingers, but, but more just a general enjoyment of the sector. Mm -hmm and working with kids that we clearly shared. And so no one really said, oh, let's do a business. It just sort of felt like the obvious thing to do. Great. And um, in a nutshell, what is it Opperdin does? So Opperdin is a mentoring company, and that for us is a more personalized, uh, personality-driven form of education, which we see as disruptive and innovative in the space that we're in. We do three key things. We work one-on-one -on -one with families around London primarily, but also the rest of the UK and internationally as well. We work in schools where we go and see groups and whole year groups in both the independent and state sectors. And then we have a camp business, Opperdin Camps, which runs residential summer camps and school trips for children in years four to eight, so right. eight to 13. Brilliant. Um, well, given the name of this podcast and what Opperdin does, it's clear that we all share a, a belief in the importance of mentorship. Interested in whether you both have mentors and, and if so, sort of how did you find them? How have they helped your career thus far? And you took this one. Okay, so, well, I, I was thinking about this on the way here. There's sort of four, really, because I have a, a father and a stepfather who are both very influential for me. And that's, that sounds cruel to my mum, my stepmom. <laughs> but I guess those kind of male figures have always been, and they're very different, and they've both given me a huge amount along the way. But also I had a housemaster at school and a, and a drama teacher who kind of inspired me to head down that route initially. And they were both, I think the, the key thing is they both treated me like an adult from a very early age, which infers a lot of the way we do things. And that kind of maturity and sense of authority over what I was doing was really important. And feeling like I was a, an equal rather than a student was a, was a big factor for me. That's really, I, you can really tell from the, the website, some of the testimonials you guys have that it's very empowering, the, the mentorship. And, and it's that whole being treated like an adult. I think there's a yeah. lot in that. Uh, what, about, what about you, Walter? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, parents were hugely helpful in my development. We well, do have to say that, don't we? we? Do. Me too, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. But the, the part of the reason why we started this business initially is that um, the role of a mentor exists in all walks of life, in sport, in music, law, any industry really. But the formalization of that role doesn't yet exist in education. So we wanted to set up that, I suppose, to fill the gap in our own small way. Because I personally would have loved having someone who was forgive the marketing line, old enough to authorize, but young enough to associate with mm -hmm. growing up age 14, 15, going through the natural rhythm of adolescence and thinking, I've absolutely no idea what I'm doing, mm -hmm. sleepwalking through school. So I think having that formal role would have been helpful, despite all the support I was getting at home. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
I think we found even from just launching this podcast, um, so many people have reached out going, oh, this, yes, we, mentorship is so important. And a lot of people struggle, whether it's the confidence to go out and find one. But we found a lot of people going, I really want one, but I don't quite know how to get one. And I'm pleased to say that people have been listening to this and hopefully getting some mentorship uh, from, from the episodes thus far. What advice would you give those listeners who are looking to get a mentor or mentorship? Are there particular things you'd recommend? Experience within the particular uh, remit you're going into is one, um, but it can be anyone. You know, when you leave the pub and you feel like full of like beans because you've had an epic chat with a friend who's perhaps a year or two ahead of you, but who really is just a mate and you feel like, you know, you want to go and conquer the world. Just that association is, 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 is awesome. So it doesn't have to be, you know, finding a specific mentor and it's a personality approach. So one thing they work for someone else. I think mentorship for us as a, as a partnership has been having people who are far more experienced than us, who've given us their time. And that can be short term for an hour, or it could be regular. We have a few people who we speak to quite often. And those mentors take totally different forms. They have totally different experiences. Often we listen to their advice and then don't act upon it. But just being open-minded to other people's experiences, I think, and not being locked into your own, just your own targets and goals. Yeah. How do you, how do you go about finding them? They've mainly been sort of personal contacts, I guess, or people we've emailed or randomly got in touch with. Really a huge variety. So it's, it's hard to kind of pinpoint. But I think sometimes you just stumble across someone yeah, who's really influential and helpful. But if you're not being proactive, you're not going to find I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so, so with Opinion, your focus is mentoring for children, teaching them skills like emotional intelligence and resilience, independence. Uh, for those listening who have children, and I am one of those people, <laughs> um, uh, that want to start to teach them some of these skills, what are the steps that you think they can take? To teach things like resilience? Yeah, and, I mean, my daughter is three and a half. I would, I, from your personal experience of this is clearly working uh, for you guys. There's a, there's a, as a guy I'm reading a little bit called Oliver James, who's a sort of child psychologist, and he talks all about imitation in those early years. And I guess, I mean, he talks about ages zero to five. So yes, it's perfect. Specifically your, your daughter, notes. James, exactly. <laughs> Kids foster those type of skills through imitation. So that's the, that's the one way to do it, is if you want your child to be resilient, I suppose you show resilience in that sort of simple way. Um, I think other ways... We find a lot in 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-old girls, specifically this fear of failure and this idea of like self-perfectionism. So letting children fail is a huge thing in terms of building resilience. I mean, I know there's hundreds of works done on growth mindset and so on, but I think it's never more true now when, when kids are often peer-to-peer reviews and, and kids often, often see themselves in light of others. So letting them fail is a huge, huge step towards um, fostering that kind of independence. The only thing I'd add is, is, is trying to foster some kind of curiosity through experience. I think the best parents we see with their kids are the ones who let their children lead the way by experiencing things and new opportunities and being open-minded because rather than trying to sort of cram them full of the perfect CV or the perfect profile, they kind of let them find it for themselves yeah. and learn through, through experience. Well, we, last point on that one. <laughs> Vulnerability is a huge thing with our mentors. So the traditional idea of teaching is like active and passive and the teacher knows everything and the student is, 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 is learning all that. I think in a mentoring relationship with our mentors, showing vulnerability is massive 
because the child aged eight or 18 thinks, okay, well, that's okay because we can do it together and it's a collaboration. So I would say that's a good way to teach or to infer um, emotional intelligence. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I will be sure to take that on board. <laughs> Is social media something that parents need to be really conscious of, um, particularly when building up these these qualities in their children? My take on this is is uh, sort of taken from four younger sisters <laughs> who have all been through it. And while uh, we're 27 and yeah, we all use social media and we've been prey to it as well, fallen victim to it. But we survived our teenage years without that around really. Facebook was a new thing when we were 15, 16. And now I see my sisters posting things that I'm very aware of are out there and, and in, in a very different manner to the way we would do things now. Uh, they think I'm totally out of touch. He's an absolute dinosaur. They, they think I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't listen to a word I say. But we actually ran an event at our office with, with a mother who's a client of ours who works at Facebook and a young influencer and a couple of other really interesting voices. And the general consensus was, yes, of course, there are dangers in any of these tech advances are going to be really dangerous but if they're used positively and that starts with parents understanding it and kind of interacting on social media with their kids that was the general right. conclusion that came from don't the very sort of head in the sand yeah it was don't be the dad it. who just claims he doesn't understand anything yeah. rather engage with it and realize that you're not going to fight it so you might as well try and instill the right habits that's great advice it's not going anywhere let's be honest <laughs> no. um, but it is a worry i definitely am, am not massively appropriate yeah i mean similarly to that you know mother or father might say you know you can't be using your instagram at the table and then they're on that outlook yeah and the, the kid goes well dad you know that your that's your that's that's your instagram so as hen says just being aware of, of how it's perceived we ran a, a father's and son's camp this weekend where phones were very much put away and emails were not looked at and um Without sounding too soppy, it was unbelievable to see kids and dads yeah. bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Pure is the word. Yeah, it was nice because there was just like real good one-on-one time spent yeah. together. I think we can all learn from that. I think the best will in the world, technology does get in the way sometimes with personal relationships, whether it's father and daughter or, or friend. So that's interesting to hear. Uh, be good to come back to the, the camps yeah, in a bit, yeah, actually. Yeah. So you both have been tutors. You were, have been for a long time. I guess that's part of what form this business, but your proposition is very different. Um, so what are the benefits and the challenges for, for setting up a new niche, you know, around mentoring and what advice would you give to others that are thinking about launching a business that's maybe slightly different to the incumbents? I would say laser focus on your proposition and never veering off that too much, especially in the initial stages. When we there's a temptation to, yeah, and there's a, a massive temptation to, you know, we're, we're promoting a, a very different concept of one-on-one -on -one support. And in order to scale a business on that presumption and scale a business on that proposition, you need to first persuade that that's a different niche you're creating. So remaining true to your to your aim and your your goal is, I'd say, the first step to do and that. clarity of message. I think it's been, it's taken us three years, in all honesty, to, to and I don't think we're even there yet, yeah. fully clarifying what it means. My own parents were confused as to right. what we were putting forward sure and when you're doing something which is sort of an offshoot of something already in existence which is so well understood trying to be really clear on what that means and why it's different is is difficult and you come up against people who are skeptical of that sure particularly in the sector already so but i think super fun to have a business in which the the very essence of your business is is constantly sort of the definition of it is subjective some people see it as therapy it's not some people see it as life skills 
in its entirety is not, but it's fun constantly every day working on that proposition mm. together. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think with JBM, when, when I set the business up, it was out of frustration at the transactional nature of recruitment and the way that I was viewed as a recruiter. And for us, we're constantly, we've been evolving the business all the time, but it, it definitely stems from a place of wanting to be more consultative and relationship driven and not like everyone else and do things a little bit differently. So that totally resonates with me. And clearly you both get on very well, you bounce ideas off each other. I'm somewhat jealous having been a, a sort of solo founder of having someone by my side. Um, I've had some great business partners and, and colleagues over the years, but I'm interested in exploring a bit more about how you met and I guess how you decided to work together. And you've alluded to it briefly, uh, but do you mind telling me the story of the launch of the business, how it came about, how you decided to work together and sort of, I guess, if there were any challenges along the way, uh, it'd be great to hear that. I think the, the context to it's interesting, which is people assume we're best friends or that we've been best friends. We're not. Oh, well, I sort of are now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> by default, by default <laughs> we don't have a choice. Thanks but yeah, <laughs> we were at rival schools when we were nine. That's the sort of context. And we, we spill a really nice story for the kids when we're telling them that. <laughs> Keep but your enemies close. Exactly. Yeah. Essentially, but Walter was a little midget and he bowled me out in cricket <laughs> and uh, it took us years to recover. But no, we were in the same year group at senior school, which was 270 in a year. So we interacted a lot and we have many of the same friends and our friendship groups are very, very closely linked. But if you told me age 16, 17, 18, that we were going to work together, that would have, yeah, it would have been a huge surprise. And so it was, it was the mutual kind of tuition experience that pushed us together. And I think I haven't, I mean, I don't want to sound like too much of a bromance, but I don't know how I would do a business by myself. I think we both feel that the strength in it is, is the partnership element. And it's just miraculously not yet, <laughs> I say not yet, touching the table, been a problem for us. So it's, it's been a big strength. I think that we've had similar experiences, but perhaps that we're not that we haven't always been in each other's pockets as kind of best, best friends. Have you had to adjust at all in terms of the dynamic between the two of you? Do you do different things within the business? How, how does that partnership work? We've never had an argument in, in three and a half years we've been working together. It's good. Um, it's terrifying. We just terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. It's going to come to um, So that's obviously a positive. Whether we do different things, we share the same job title. We do very much the same day-to-day -day work. We're both massively invested in the operation side of things, the logistics, the marketing, the strategy. People often ask us whether we should divide and conquer, but we decide not to, okay. which I think has been a strength of the business. The nice thing is there's yeah. an ability to dovetail. Mm -hmm. So if a client calls or a camp happening or whatever, we can really fill in for one another in a way that I think if we divided, we wouldn't be able to. That internally, our team know that there are small things that are more my responsibility or more his. Right. So there are mini divisions, right? but they're so small and they're not. Yeah, it's, it's good, James. It's like therapy for us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good it's always good just to get, get it all out, out guys. Get I it think, all out. I think, I think we have different skill sets. Yeah. And going back to what Hans said at the beginning, I think we were different at school. Henry was very much a high flyer. I was very much not. And I think we now... Not sure I believe that. No, it's <laughs> true. But I think that we work very well together. Mm -hmm. And I think in meetings, when he's saying something, I know exactly what he's going to say next and vice versa. Um, and I have ultimate respect for businesses that go out with one founder. Massively so. Because, yeah. Because the, you know, it's that old age old thing. If you, if you told me right now how much work it would have been, you, you would be terrified of doing it. But when you're doing it together, you just sort of soldier yeah. through it. Never no, feels, I, it never feels like work. I think some of the, some of the 
clients we work with that have co-founders, you can see their trajectory is that much quicker because they literally have more hands and uh, but it's also about that that just the partnering up and being able to share ideas and challenge at the right time uh, i'm interested you've never argued for has there have, have there been big decisions that you've had you've disagreed on? not necessarily argued but you've you've had a kind of coming at it from slightly different angles and how do you resolve that i don't think there have been i, th- I think partly we've been very lucky that so far the the various routes we've taken have become obvious mm. There have been decisions, but we've miraculously sort of aligned on those. Okay. I'm sure it will happen. Yeah. Um, if you want me to step in as a mediator <laughs> at I'm that sure time, just give me a shout. I, I think the way to deal with it, even in tiny instances, and I hope that will be the case with bigger things too, is, is to have a fairly compromising, open-minded approach. Yeah. I, I think I speak for both of us in that we're, we're very relaxed. Yeah. And if you, if you are relaxed and you're happy to hear somebody else's opinion, it doesn't matter so much. And usually there's, you know, there's good reasons. We're both very logical and rational. So I think just writing out reasons for things becomes fairly obvious what the right thing to do is. Good stuff. Not getting too emotionally uh, attached. No, fair enough. Well, it it sounds like it's been going very well. Lovely to see two co-founders that get on brilliantly, but I'm sure there have been some challenges along the way. So so what for you have been the most, I guess, difficult elements of this journey so far, this entrepreneurial journey, and how have you overcome those? We're both rational fairly rationalized eight people, as Hen said, but we're also pretty ambitious. And in starting a business that has great scope, the temptation is to reach for those prosaic long-term you know, strategies um, that will create this huge legacy and, and so on. I think initially the biggest challenge has been to remain true to the, the very reason why we set up the company and lay the foundations and then reach for those perhaps longer term aims we're in the process of setting up a foundation um, that will help children from less fortunate backgrounds and and help widen the accessibility to mentoring and that's that's absolutely in the in the forefront of what we're trying to do next but um the biggest challenge has been just to going back to what i said late remain laser focused on on our challenge i'd say logistically i think hiring has been yeah has been tricky we're a team of seven now including us at five and we've so we've made six hires in in two years, and I mean the team will be listening to this. So I'm not going to complain too much. No, but they're they're we've been very very lucky, but it's been difficult. It's been hard hiring cheaply, and also just balancing our our roles as trying to be creative and forward thinking with running a team, and increasingly I feel like HR. That's we're in that mid stage where we obviously can't have an HR person, but we. We need to devote a lot of time to our team and making sure that, that that culture is fostered in the right way. And that's that's difficult. That's probably the thing that is more time consuming and you know takes more thought than the actual ideas that are coming out of the business. Definitely. Definitely. I'm sure I mean, you hear that a lot though. Yeah. And from a personal perspective, uh, the, the most challenging part of growing JVM has been hiring for ourselves, which is ironic given what we do, but it but it just is. And it's very time consuming to get it right, especially as with your business, it's your baby. It's, it's, it means everything and anyone coming into that, that family, you know, you want them to be culturally aligned. You want them to be brilliant. You want them to feel as invested as you. It's not always as simple as that. Creating a culture yes. in a business is for one of a better word, the coolest thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it, it's an everyday process. It involves tinkering the team, managing the team, dealing with emotions, dealing with vision, dealing with all sorts and we were a tiny team you know we're a very small business so i can't imagine businesses that have 20 200 people but uh yeah that's that's a lot of fun learning on instinct 
Yeah. How would you describe the culture of the business at the moment? Progressive, forward thinking, very open. Um, we went to go and hear the founder of Perpbox speak a couple of weeks ago. So I won't steal his phrase as my own, but he talked about a no fear. He was awesome. A no fear approach to, to, to the team where, you know, if, if somebody does something perhaps differently that, that me or I don't, don't agree with, then we'll have a, a word. And similarly, if, if he or she doesn't think we're doing a good enough job, right back at us. And I think that no fear culture is key in, in, in keeping it transparent. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think also we, we, if you imagine our office, we sit on sort of two horseshoe desks. We're all very, very closely confined. So that comes with benefits and it's great fun, but it's also quite an intense atmosphere to work in. We're very fast paced. And so everyone kind of has this energy to it and you notice when it's up and you notice when it's down. It's, it doesn't stay very neutral. No, fair enough. And again, I, I totally feel where you're coming <laughs> from. <laughs> we talked a bit about the team that, how have you grown that? Uh, you mentioned that's been, been challenging and very rewarding at the same time. How have you gone about building that team and kind of what are your plans for building it, I guess, over the next six, 12 months? The first hire was an obvious one, which was a client manager to work with us. Lovely, great girl called Tilly. It was her first job and we were still working in Walter's Kitchen. And she spent the first year of employment literally dealing with the two of us every day around a table. I feel so sorry for her, <laughs> but we're great friends still. She's, she's moved on. But. And then so, so there's, they've been quite obvious hires there. They're managing our mentoring side of the business. One person manages our camp side of the business and one person is on marketing and another person on schools. So they all have fairly defined, obvious routes and they haven't been complicated in terms of working out what we wanted them to do. But um, I think the, the thing that was key was when we were interviewing, we realized we weren't hiring for a role. We were hiring for a person mm. and that person then adapts very much within their role. So, yeah. Right. I one thing we haven't really touched upon is the mentors themselves that, that I know are freelance. So how does that process work of finding those mentors? How do you screen them? How can you guarantee to your clients that they are going to be amazing for their children? Which as I'm speaking as a father, you know, that is something that you don't just hand your kid over to anyone. You want to make sure they're, you know, being looked after and being with the right sorts of people for them. I think um, that's the question we get asked most from, from heads families everyone initially we started off taking on mates of henry's moxford who were all brilliant we quickly realized though that having a cv that says oxford or cambridge isn't a mark of being a good mentor i'd say on the often quite the contrary why is that out, out of interest well i well god no i just i just think that just a broader a broader church of mentors yeah. is important i think the generic line is that parents are on the whole impressed by a cv from a university Whereas we have found that to be totally irrelevant. It's totally a personality got it, got it. with the child. So although it's, it's enticing, I suppose, for families to see great CVs on a website, that for us is, is, has become much less important than it was when we first started. Like, I guess a PhD from Oxbridge might not necessarily be the person to bring out emotional intelligence sure. in a 14-year-old. I think the expectation in the tuition industry is, is twofold, or the expectation of a tutor is, is twofold. One is they have a degree or in the process of getting a degree and the other one is that they are available and it's a fairly low bar of expectation that exists so our aim was to set a higher bar of, of what the mentor should be um, and we now take on almost exclusively those who have a full-time job but who can mentor alongside that okay um, we used to you know interview very charismatic people who say, yeah, I'm dead keen to work with you and then get a job at PwC the next week. We'd be left in the lurch. So 
we we tend to focus more on the creative sort of more liberal side of of employment so things like uh, journalists directors playwrights trainee lawyers trainee lawyers they tend um, to be super on the ball and very efficient yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we we bandy around the kind of rise of the gig economy but i think a two job sort of life is 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 on the is on the rise and because they're there to stay there's obviously then commitment that a parent is assured by we we often talk about the philosophy hiring the person rather than us hiring the person and it might, makes it much easier for henry and i and and uh, alice and marina who who do the screening initially to say that's someone who would fit into Opperden's mm. mentoring philosophy. And, and people always ask me, how we recruit them? We don't market or recruit at all. They just come through word of mouth Brilliant. from the good mentors, bring more good mentors. And we now turn down about seven in 10 wow. who apply. And sometimes they're, they're shocked and horrified that they've been turned down, but it's increasingly obvious as to why they get through. And, yeah. and we just made it, we basically, it's a good trick for anyone, I think, hiring self-employed people, make it harder and harder for them to apply. Make them jump through more and Test more hoops, commitment, yeah. and and by the time they get to the final stage, you know they really want to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely, oh, that's great. I think there's definitely something to be said for them having another role as well. I think as a credible mentor, having that more worldly experience and yeah. another interest is important. Kids don't want to be taught. I say this probably too too much of a generalization, but kids don't want to be taught by teachers after school. And having someone, you know, we, you know, when you used to see the teacher in the sweet shop, you yeah. think, Christ, I don't want to see them. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. And actually, you know, you, you, you really do empathize with someone who's, who's writing for the New York Times and who's coming to your house to teach you. You think, this is awesome. I can't wait. Or, you know, somebody who's working on Attenborough's new series, you think, God, this is awesome. She's coming to come and teach me. So having that. Um, parents love it too. Yeah. They love it because it's someone inspiring to have around the family unit as well. And I think we joke that the mentoring is as much for parents as it is for their kids. Yeah. And there's a sense of that person injecting an energy and an enthusiasm from their own life into the family unit that's like a breath of fresh air and, and blows away the cobwebs of that, whatever complexities there are in that parent-child relationship. Great, great. Thank you. I wanted to come on to some, a couple of other topics, actually. So services like yours historically have been targeted at higher-income families. And, and probably those in the private school, uh, sort of private sector. What can companies and individuals be doing to help their children, perhaps from less well-off families who can't afford services like this? And, and what are you guys doing to support children in that position? I think the, accessib the accessibility thing is, is on our minds all the time and trying to find a way of, of having two different offerings, which some tuition companies have done successfully. It's been really difficult for us at a, such a small early stage because we just don't have the human resources to provide to it. But we're very keen that there's a foundation that starts to do that. Increasingly, we're working in state schools, which is great. So although we can't do it all one-on-one uh, -on -one for a family privately, we can access those kids through a state school who are happy to work with us. Interestingly, despite there being lots of will, there's so much bureaucracy to get through. And no matter what you're offering, even if it's free, there's red tape in schools and in the school system that's been very frustrating for us at our stage. It's a shame, isn't it? Because my wife uh, was a secondary school teacher in, in an academy and the sorts of things that you're offering would have so much benefit for the students that she, she taught. Um, it's a shame there's that bureaucracy. Are there ways around that? Or are you just going to have to keep... You need a contact away? in a yeah. school who trusts it and is happy to devote some time to it because they're so tied up with everything else they've got to do. They're stretched already. Having someone come and offer something, even if it's free, is, is tricky. But we have the mental base who are really keen to help. I think long-term, 
there's a way of making the, pro, the the kind of concepts and the IP more accessible by making it more online. Yeah, I think um, enabling kids to have mentors online and having content that can be shared for parents on how to mentor or how to have a mentor influence um, in the family, that's really possible. So we're definitely interested in doing that. It's just, just getting on with it, really. Yeah. It's hard. In terms of what parents can do on their own, I think it doesn't matter if you're privately educating your child or you're not privately educating your child. It's really difficult to play that role yourself. You're both the enforcer and trying to be the fun person. So you end up having good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very, very difficult to tell them to brush their teeth and teach them to like, you know, Auden's poems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair it's enough. Tough. It's yeah. really tough. So get some, get some outside mentorship in some way. I do you think mentorship can be found though within the family, like a cousin. You know, if I were a dad of a young son, and he didn't want to listen to me, I would go and speak to my nephew. And I would say, right, come on, I'll sort you out here. We can help, but try and take on more of a mentorship role with my son, I think. I'd like to caveat what I just said, because I know there are, the majority of parents, I'm sure, can, of course, tell their kid to brush their teeth and yeah. inspire them with the education side of things. And we've seen it work wonderfully well. There is just a space. Yes. Just, just want to caveat yes. that. Yeah, Otherwise, no, fair enough. I understood where you're coming Thanks, from. Thanks, <laughs> I think like with anything, um, it's it's good to have hear another voice. I think kids benefit from that. I think adults do as well. Sometimes it's it's good to just live a little bit outside of that uh, everyday scenario. Um, so I, I totally see where there's that, there's that kind of conflict. For example, my dad spent you know, years teaching me to play golf and I didn't listen to a single thing he said. And it was only when there was somebody else who told me the exact same piece of advice that I listened. So it doesn't matter how great the intention is, kids will always react better to an impartial Definitely. influence, I think. Um, you both have talked quite openly about your private school education and the benefits and challenges that come with that. For those listening who are sort of thinking about, I guess, secondary school for their kids, whether it's private or state, what are the things you would encourage them to think about when making that decision? Well, there's a growing trend, certainly, we've seen of professionals who previously could afford to send their children to private school now looking at different options. And I think that's a, that's a great thing. And um, from a personal perspective, um, obviously incredibly fortunate with our education. Uh, I would never be ashamed of it or bashful about it. Um, but interesting, I'm reading a book called Engines of Privilege, which is by Francis Green and David Kynaston, I think. And it's all about how we can cross the tracks of uh, making either fee-paying schools more accessible or maintain schools, state schools of better value, educationally speaking. So I haven't answered your question, more posed a question for Henry to take on. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the tide's turning a lot. Yeah. I just feel like our generation, take our friend group who've been privately educated, I just think so few of them will privately educate their kids. Yeah, I see a real space for us in terms of companies having value for kids yeah when the schools uh, when they're in state schools i think that will probably push up standards as well and i wouldn't uh, if, if i were speaking to a parent I'd, i just i would say don't worry about it too much it's not for everyone independent schools are very independent places and i wouldn't be totally convinced that my child would be the right child for yeah. the schools that i went through yeah we have a lot of parents trying to perhaps unfairly push their child through a specific hole and it's you know, to what end? I, I think the school choices that parents make have to be just totally right for what they're doing at that time as a family, where they're based, what their ideals are, what they're capable of, and then you do the best you can. 
And I don't think it will be a, I think it will be a very different landscape educationally okay. for our children than it was for us. Interesting. Yeah, we have all this ahead of us. Sienna uh, is only three and a half, but my wife and I were both privately educated at Christ Hospital School, which is also one of the very few charity, charitable schools left. So what was, for me, wonderful about that place was there are many, many kids there who would never have been able to afford a private school education, who truly cherished and benefited from it. On the flip side, my wife then taught in uh, an academy school, and we've very much seen the benefits of both. So it's a challenge. It's a, it's a, it's a big decision. But no, I just, advice yeah, is really helpful. It, would, it would just be, I get frustrated when we, when we advise parents a lot, when they, they, they sort of pigeonhole their child into five private schools for the sake of, or because they are private, there are an increasing number of extremely, extremely good um, non-fee paying schools, which, 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 which have to be looked at yeah. as, as really viable options. Um, so that's kind no, of what we're really, trying to do. Really helpful advice. Um, we are almost at the end of this, uh, guys. So thank, thank you both for your time. I've got a few wrap-up questions, which are shorter and sharper. Experience or attitude? Which is more important and why? I would say it has to be attitude. Because we have no experience. Never worked in a corporate job. Couldn't possibly argue for experience. I think attitude all the way. So much of what we've done is instinct-led. And I think that that can work fine as long as your head's in the right space. Yeah, fair enough. And when you're interviewing for Opidin, is there a particular interview question that you ask? Is there something that you ask and the answer will almost decide whether you would hire that person? Well, I ask the question to the kids we interview and work okay. with and to the mentors who apply to work with us or, or, or full-time staff, which is, what do you love? I think it's open, it's open-ended. Yeah, great. Totally. Yeah. Any, you don't want closed questions. I think you want, what do you love? It can lead to anything. Definitely. And kids tend to pigeonhole themselves into boxes at school, like rugby, cricket, and maths. But the more they can explore things outside that, the better, I think. Yeah, they don't see their strengths in terms of virtues or personality traits. They see their strengths in terms of you know, grade one flute, yeah, <laughs> um, which is in itself a good thing. I don't really have a question I would ask. We were always asked, what TED talk would you do? But I don't ask those questions. I always ask where it goes wrong in a relationship with a child in terms of managing expectation, in terms of communication with parents. I think it's important for mentors to realize the pitfalls of, of a relationship where you have to marry the expectations of the child and the engagement, enthusiasm and, and fostering that with results and with you know managing what a where where a parent sees value in the relationship so definitely great thank you what about you do you have an interview question i do you know i don't i should do shouldn't i (laughs) I, I, we interview people every day um for me for jbm it's 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 more a personal question i'm interested in what people are passionate about very very similar what do you love and and almost just let them speak for me it's very, it can go so many different directions. If it's a very short answer or if it's something that opens them up and they, you know, they, their, their eyes light up and they tell you something that says a lot about an individual, I think, but maybe I should have a killer question. <laughs> yeah. You put me on the spot there. I'll think about that. Right. Last one guys. Um, if we're to meet up in 12 months, which I'm sure we will, what do you hope to have achieved with Oppidan? Um, and personally for yourselves, what else, what else do you want to have achieved? We often talk about legacy with Opperton and that legacy um, would manifest itself in a in wider accessibility of mentoring. So I like to sit here in 12 months time and say we work and work positively in 100 schools, 1000 schools um, across London to start with. 
I like to see the the concept of mentoring increase. And yeah, the more schools we can work in, I'd say the better. Better understanding, I think. Every month, I feel like people more clearly understand what, we, what we're doing, or what we're trying to do, parents mainly. And I think, yeah, just a better, better level of understanding. Also, I'm working quite a lot on our international reach. Definitely like us to be more places. Right. And that's beginning to happen with a few partnerships. So I think that will be exciting. Exciting. Brilliant. And personally, any, anything on the bucket list? What, in my personal life? Yeah, personally. <laughs> uh, lots of things. Just bought a car. So that's exciting. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, there's a dog on the horizon. No, I think we're fortunate that we love our job. And I metaphorically skipped to work. So still enjoying it in a year's time would be, would be pretty Long good. I'm going to say my golf handicap. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now you you put that out there. So in twelve months' time, I'll be checking back in. Henry Walter, thank you so much for being our forty-minute mentor. It's been an absolute pleasure. And everyone here at JBM wishes you all the best for the year ahead. Thank you. Thanks. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Forty Minute Mentor, brought to you by JBM. So if you'd like to tell us what you thought of the podcast, or find out how we can help you with your next career move, please do get in touch at info at jbmc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you.